And now for something completely machinima. And welcome to Completely Machinima Podcast. I'm Ricky Grove, producer and host of this, our first episode. Our goal is to bring the machinima community together by sharing news, films, filmmakers, and in-depth discussions of machinima past, present, and future. Now let me introduce my fellow hosts. I'm joined by machinima veteran and composer Phil Rice, a.k.a. Overman, along with Tracy Harwood, professor of digital culture at the Institute of Creative Technology in the UK and the author of numerous papers and articles on machinima, and machinima director and writer Damien Valentine, a.k.a. Darth Angelus. Phil, Tracy, and Damien have been my friends for many years, and I'm excited to be working with them on this podcast. Hey, guys. Hi. How are you doing? Hey there. Hello. So glad you're here. And now it's time for our monthly machinima news feature. Our monthly machinima news feature. Now, Damien, you've got some interesting news, and I wanted to congratulate you on being accepted to the Berlin Liftoff Film Festival with one of your machinima films. Congratulations, Damien. Oh, thank you, Ricky. That's very kind of you. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, film festivals, and um, there's a website called filmfreeway.com. And if you go there, you can do a search. And if you look up, if you do a search for the word machinima, you'll come up with several festivals that are accepting uh, machinima submissions. Um, there's a few that aren't accepting at the moment, but there are two that are, and the deadlines are coming up. So the first one is Fantasy Short Film Festival. The deadline for submission is the 15th of March. So if you've got a film that's um, nearly finished or is finished, um, it's worth uh, submitting that to them. And the other is the New Media Film Festival. And the deadline for that is, the next deadline for that is the 3rd of March, but I believe they're accepting films until April. But um, if you can't meet those two deadlines, you should check out um, what festivals accept animation because many of them will accept machinima submissions under animation. And if you're using something like iClone, um, uh, that will be accepted anyway because it, it's not really video game machinery, it's, it's real-time animation, but it, it's produced in animation software, so they will accept that as well. So, yeah, definitely check out filmfreeway.com and do a search for film, uh, machinima and animation, and you can find festivals that uh, you can limit the options. So if you've got a, if you want one sort of free submissions, you can check for that. Um, you can look for festivals that are local to you, which... At the moment with COVID, it doesn't really matter because most of them are being held online. Um, but yeah, there's lots of options. You can narrow it down or widen the search for whatever it is. But definitely worth checking out if you're interested in submitting your film to a film festival. Yeah, given the fact that Machinima has uh, come into the public consciousness, there are more people are aware of it. There's also been many academic studies and uh, uh, focus on it. Uh, Tracy can speak to that, but there's one festival in particular that's devoted to machinima and machinima-related art, and that's the Milan uh, Machinima Film Festival. It tends to be really art machinima, um, so it might be a little strange to folks who are just doing sort of mainstream kind of things with games, but there's a lot of great uh, uh, film and uh, it's a great opportunity to uh, learn about other filmmakers, what's happening in other countries, and it's really well executed. They have monthly uh, programming, so you can learn a lot of stuff there. We'll put a link in our show notes so you can check on all of these festivals. 
Phil, do you have some news for us? I do. I want to talk about uh, something. It's not brand new, but it's it's because it hasn't come to fruition yet. It's still uh, in that new queue for everyone, and that is the NVIDIA announcement this this past fall of a uh, product, software product, or a suite that they are putting together. They're calling it uh, Omniverse Machinima, and they actually use the name Machinima in the title of it, which, as we alluded to a little earlier, is, is uh, somewhat rare um, and noteworthy. Uh, now, what the Omniverse package is ultimately is a uh, – the best analogy I can think of for it is if you're familiar with, uh, with Adobe Photoshop and there's the Creative Suite – and it's different applications that can, if you have the creative suite, they can work together. So you can design something vector in Illustrator and then bring it into Photoshop. And then that can interface with Adobe Premiere in certain ways. Um, it, it's that concept, but applied to production of uh, animation and, and, and uh, um, that kind of work. So the Machinima Omniverse, the way I understand it, is going to be one component of several components in that universe that they're creating of, of these different applications. The whole idea of it being able to collaborate and share content and work remotely with a team easier. But from what the description sounds like, the Omniverse Machinima uh, part of that platform uh, will function in a somewhat standalone way. It doesn't mean that you have to be involved with those other advanced 3D applications. This one really is uh, machinima in that it is going to be tapping into assets and uh, things from game worlds or game engines. Um, <clears throat> now, there's a lot of questions not yet answered about this, um, which we're going to be keeping an eye on it, of course, and we'll let you know when when we know more. But one of the questions that I have with it is, okay, it's NVIDIA branded, so are, is it only going to operate if you have a particular level of NVIDIA graphics hardware? That wouldn't be unreasonable necessarily, but certainly would be good to know. I also don't think that's a big barrier because I think that a lot of people that are working with uh, real-time graphics or even just high-end gaming, um, NVIDIA is you know, the, one of the, if not the main choice that people tend to go with. Uh, and then the other would just be, okay, how does this, how does this exactly work? You know, what are the limitations? Is it an open platform where I can bring in 3D assets from somewhere else and easily bring in textures, or is it more of a closed system with the gaming partners that they've they've partnered up with? Those are a lot of things that, that nobody really knows yet. Um, they have put out a call for where you can subscribe and be the first to know, uh, you know new information about this, and there's been whispers of some kind of a beta release at some point in the future, um, but that has not happened as of today. So uh, it's, it's something to keep an eye on, and it's 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 exciting for a number of reasons. There's a, a demo, which we'll link to in our show notes, that it shows some pretty spectacular uh, visuals that purportedly were created with this platform. Yes, I've got, um, well, it's a bit of speculation on my part, really. Tomorrowland, around the world. Um, that's not to be confused with Disney's theme park experience of an imaginary future from the, the 20s and 30s, 
or indeed the uh, 2015 film. Now, this Tomorrowland was actually first created in Belgium in 2005 and has been a hugely successful electronic dance music festival with wildly utopian futuristic sets, which um, some really have described as kind of a Woodstock-like haven. Um, Well, it was last held physically in 2019 and like so many other similar events in 2020, was cancelled. But rather than cry into their milk or whatever, the organisers did an amazing job of creating a 16 square kilometre virtual world in just three months using, ironically, the Unreal Engine. This included over 100,000 avatars representing audience members for its 60 acts, 60 acts, can you believe it, who were recorded in studios in four locations around the world and then appeared appeared on eight what I would call fantastical stages. Uh, It was filmed rather than live streamed and was available for a limited time last July. It's not really a game, but it's a rich game-like experience that converges virtual experiences with real-time partying at home, of course, and naturally socially distant, um, as we need to be in these current COVID times. Um, But what's interesting about it is it was rendered in 10 times the quality of the average video game. Now, the experience of it wasn't as great as one might imagine with that kind of quality. Um, But um, nonetheless, it attracted an audience of uh, around a million, Um, unclear if many of them were actually paying customers. Um, But if you compare it to what they did in real life, that was about 400,000 that they would have turn up at their real life experiences. On top of which, they have subsequently released a, a relive video on demand where you can go and experience each of the sets. It was such a success that they there are calls um, to keep the environment for future events. Um, but it does appear, as I said, that the experience was not really fully 3D, rather 2D streamed inside a 3D interactive environment. So there's a way to go on developing it, I think. Of course, um, whilst the pandemic has presented us with some unprecedented virtual experiences, such as these music festivals, conferences and what have you, um, these are not really new developments. Fortnite's um, first Marshmallow concert, for example, attracted an audience of 10 million, which took place in February 2019. So it's you know some, some time before we had COVID. Um, but its success, nonetheless, was only ever going to lead to more of these kinds of events. Um, and I think really what's happened is the pandemic has just accelerated the adoption of these these types of things. Um, so following um, Tomorrowland's event last July, uh, Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, was, has been quite eloquent um, about the metaverse and its possibilities as a, as a massive participatory virtual space with a virtual currency and such. And you know what? That sounds a lot like what Second Life have been doing since, oh, when did that launch? 2003, was it? (laughs) 2003, yeah. So I would say Tomorrowland was an altogether different quality of proposition. Um, And you can still see the after movie machinima type uh, uh, film, which is still on YouTube. And we'll put that on the show notes as well. Um, But they also did a stunning New Year's Eve party, which took account of different time zones for for its various streamed activities. Um, so you could say that, well, Second Life has done these kind of things for years, and, and we know that that is true. But what is evident here, I think, is the investment in production values that have taken this kind of event-driven game-like experience to, to really a, a whole new level. And I think what is um, 
what is clearly framing up um, what it's framing up to be is yet another challenging year for for major events. Um, you know, the pandemic isn't going anywhere. Vaccines are going to take a, a while to roll out. Um, so I would expect to see a lot more of these event-driven environments being developed even further. And as a con- consequence, what I would expect to see, and I haven't really found any yet, I have to say, is some really interesting machinima shorts that come out of them, demonstrating storytelling in these kind of transitory worlds. That brings me to my second news item, which is um, Second Life itself, which has changed ownership. Second Life was bought out uh, last year by an investment group, which has been led by Randy Waterfield and Brad Oberwager, uh, both of whom have joined uh, the board of Linden Research. At the time, um, the CEO of uh, Second Life, Ebby Altberg, argued that it would mean investment in the environment as well as its virtual currency. Um, there was a lot of concern as- expressed among the community about corporate machine asset stripping it, um, as we've seen happen elsewhere some more recently. Um, but the owners seem more interested in making profit. So now, of course, there's quite a bit of speculation that the fees are going to rise as the game tries to maintain ground and grow in an environment where, frankly, there is now a better understanding of the potential for a broad range of these kind of virtual experiences, such as the Tomorrowland that we've just talked about. It's going to be another one of those game environments that will be interesting to see how it evolves over the coming months, I think. The most interesting Machinima news story I've discovered recently is a brand new, free, complete virtual production course being offered by Epic Games for the Unreal Engine. It's called Filmmaking with the Unreal Engine, and it's a two and a half hour course with instructor Deepak Chetty. It is for Windows only, just so you know. Here's a couple of things you're going to learn. You'll apply pre-production workflows and methodologies in Unreal Engine. You use geometry materials and lighting to parallel the lighting, layout, and visuals of a real-world set. You'll block out and edit scenes with the sequencer. You use post-production volumes to apply cinematic color corrections and other image effects and deliver rendered films or interactive standalone applications. Now, that's directly from their course descriptions. What I love about this is that it is essentially a machinima film course. They call it virtual uh, production, but we'll talk about those uh, definitions later in the general discussion. Um, This is a great way, if you're a beginner or even if you're a veteran, to learn the essentials of pre-production, how to get your script together, how to transfer a script to a shot list, how to set up your shot list in the engine. Uh, Epic provides all of the materials that you need, including models, backgrounds, uh, animations, and everything. It's a free download. It's a pretty hefty download. It's about 12 gigabytes, and it's Windows only. Remember that. But I downloaded it. I started the course, and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, Unreal Engine, uh, all four of us here have been involved to some degree uh, with Machinima for a long time. And Unreal Engine is one of those that has really demonstrated great staying power. I mean, even back 10 plus years ago, uh, they were among the first to offer a uh, you know, the matinee editor is what they called it, and probably still do, where you can sequence events and it's all running in real time within their engine. Uh, and they've just continued to mature the product uh, over the years. So it's uh, it's it's really a, a exciting platform. And actually, Damien, wasn't it you that told me that Unreal Engine is in some way involved with production on the Mandalorian show? 
Um, yeah, that's right. It's um, so if you watch The Mandalorian, they have this studio set up with all these LED screens. Um, what they do is they put the actors in the middle of that room and then project the scenery, uh, the locations, and all the effects on the walls around them. It's all done in real time. And in a lot of the cases, you can't tell that it's um, it's projected. You think they really are in the desert or in the snow or wherever the scene is taking place. When they were testing it out, they had a call from one of the producers from uh, Disney, I believe it was. So they had the system um, running in the background. They accepted the video chat and they started talking. And the producer thought that they had spent, blown their entire budget producing this elaborate set. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, it turned out no, it was it was just projected behind them, and they wanted that was a good way for them to test that people would believe that this uh, new way of filming was possible. And it's all powered in real time with the Unreal Engine. And if you check out the behind the scenes show for the Mandalorian, they have a whole episode dedicated to talking about how they make this work. And even though they don't say the word machinima, it is exactly what they're talking about. It is live. It's machinima in a big budget TV show in Hollywood. So that's that's a real hard profile use for it. Unreal goes back to the 1990s, doesn't it? And um, Matinee was originally developed with the Machinima community quite, quite some time ago. Uh, it's quite interesting that they've um, kept Matinee, albeit they've uh, redeveloped it, I believe, to be a, a slightly easier to use sequencer. I think they call it sequencer now or sequencer Matinee now. Um, and, and what's fantastic about what Unreal are doing is the fact that they're making all their tool sets um, available for anybody to use, um, which is, you know, I mean, if, if Machinima creators had had access to the tool sets that these guys are providing now, we'd have had some cracking Machinima uh, made 20 odd years ago, I think. It was, it was um, you know, what they're doing is, is incredible. It's really great to see it. Next up on Completely Mushinima, Films of the Month with Phil, Ricky, Tracy, and Damien. Ricky, Tracy, and Damien. Ricky, Tracy. I really enjoy searching for interesting films to share with you guys. And this month, I've chosen The Town That Dreaded Sundown by David Van. David takes the audio track from a trailer of a 70s film with that title and reshoots the action inside of Rockstar's Red Dead Redemption 2 game. Now, the actual trailer for the 70s film is pretty mild, but David keeps that documentary style and adds a level of violence that can only be found in video games. The ragdoll effect of the models is so stylized that they could never be thought of as actual deaths. It's Sam Peckinpah cartoons, and I love the black humor that results from this film. Now, we've got an interview with David later in the show, so make sure you stay tuned. And he's got several other adaptations on his YouTube channel, along with several very funny Lego films he created early in his career. I just love this film. What did you guys think? Yeah, it was, it was really well made. And you're right, the, uh, uh, the, the, the level of, of gore, uh, it really did. It contributed to a, a humorous thing. I'm not sure it's something my parents would laugh at. I think they would probably be positively horrified but anybody who's grown up on you know that diet of video games uh it's i think we've uh we've got a tolerance for that that uh it does it it quickly becomes a catalyst for humor um and yeah it's just very well done very well edited uh it lines up isn't it uh ricky that he it's using the actual audio from the original trailer yeah and it lines up so well i mean it's just just very nice craft going on 
Yeah, I think this this is a really bloodthirsty film for me. Really, it's a <laughs> it's it's one of those where even I cringe at that. It's got the first shot just ooh that made me jump. Um, I but the scenes perfectly fit the narrative and the and the soundscape. And it it does work. It really is. It's, it's a good film. I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. I haven't seen the original film that um, was the inspiration for it, but it's this made me want to sort of try and track down a copy and investigate it because I thought this is so well done. I, I need to go and see the original, I think, to be able to appreciate it even more. He did several other trailers too for that impossibly bad but wonderful film Mandy. Um, and I think a couple others on there. Now he... For 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 the town that dreaded sundown, he used uh, the actual trailer audio. But for Mandy, he included some stuff from the film proper, so he sort of extended that idea of the trailer. Uh, you'll hear you'll hear it in the interview. He goes into detail about how he put it together. Phil, what was your film choice this uh, this month? I picked one uh, made by a friend of mine, actually, uh, Evan Ryan. Uh, the, the film is called Sugar, and it's a music video for a song by System of the Down. And he made it uh, using a tool developed by a friend of yours, Ricky, uh, M. Strange, uh, called Nightmare Puppeteer, which is available for a ridiculously low price on Steam. Um, and Nightmare Puppeteer is this uh, – uh, M. developed it in Unity 3D Engine – but it's this, it's this live puppeteering uh, uh, application. It's not a game at all. It's, it's an application where you, you can set a scene and put characters in there and then control them in real time. Um, and it can be used uh, quite easily with, you know, to, to capture footage using a tool like Fraps or OBS, or it can be used for Twitch live streaming. And uh, what, what's intriguing about it, um, first of all, is the complexity of the tool. But then also uh, the, the very odd, uh, surrealistic approach to the visuals with the characters and the props and all that kind of thing. And Evan makes just fantastic use of this and his choice of song uh, to animate with it was perfect because there's this, you know, a system of down. If you've ever listened to it, it's, it's, it's very intense, uh, uh, kind of uh, hard driving punk-infused rock music. And uh, Evan just does a brilliant job at, at using these, these visuals to convey some of the ideas that are, that are coming through in the lyric. Um, and with, he edits it very nicely where there's some kind of recurring themes that pop up uh, throughout the, the course of the film. Um, it's, it's just wonderfully exotic looking and uh, very well edited. The video quality is fantastic. Um, I don't remember if I've asked him what what method he used to capture footage, but it's going to be one of those two, a Fraps or a uh, open uh, the OBS software or something like that. But it's just wonderfully done. Uh, just very vivid colors, striking imagery, um, uh, and just full of energy that that matches the energy of the song. So that's that's one I would recommend for this week. Yeah, I really enjoyed that too. I, I was really surprised at those visuals and that pixelation and the way that it it works in different ways on the um, on the screen. It looks it looks really good. I really definitely recommend that one as well. It's a very good film. Yeah, I was going to say that's a film that I, I really enjoyed as well. It's visually very impressive, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. 
I was on the beta team for uh, um, this project, so I saw it. Um, I saw him work from the very beginning to the end, and he does all of his own coding for the game. I love M. Not Strange. Uh, his real world name is Mike. We've been friends for many, many years, and I just love how you would mention something in a, in the beta testers forum, and the next day he would have it coded immediately into the thing. His idea was to take his world, his way of looking at things, which is absurd and punkish and fun and energetic and strange and obscene and put it inside of a game so that you can use that world to make stuff, uh, make your own machinima films, make your own videos, whatever you want. It's $4.99 on Steam. It's worth it. The community is big. Um, he's uploading new stuff every week. I think they have three new scene setups. It is ideal for a machinima filmmaker who wants to way, make way out there sorts of videos. So I'm, I'm really glad uh, uh, you chose this. This is uh, just terrific. My film is Beast. Um, it's a bit of a throwback. Um, it was made in 2006 um, by Binary Picture Show, otherwise known as Leo Lucian Bay. Um, it's actually made in Motion Builder uh, using Crazy Talk and Sims 2. Uh, and it's a short which mixes some great voice acting with a, a powerful bit of storytelling, mixing two very different visual styles. It's got a, a great soundscape. Um, it's very moody. It's quite violent, um, contains some quite strong language and themes, um, but it's not an action film. It's totally reliant on creating a connection between the characters and the audience. It's a little bit reminiscent for me um, to uh, films like Chaos, um, Statham, uh, or if you want to go back to the 1980s Bronson's Death Wish type, um, type sort of um, films. Uh, the plot is of a, a kidnapped man who wakes up bound in this kind of mysterious room, knowing nothing of his captor. Um, and it, you know, the story sort of unfolds from there. Um, and I picked the film uh, because as well as being a great example of different ways in which stories can be told, um, it's what led its creator, Leo, to uh, a whole new life at Mass Effect as a cinematic designer for Mass Effect 2 and 3. Um, so there you go. That's the film that I commend to you this I remember when Leo first released this film, we, we, uh, Ricky and I were doing a project back then called Machinaplex and we premiered it for that. And I told Leo, uh, who I've known for quite a while, uh, that I thought it was probably the single most disturbing, uh, piece of film made, you know, piece of machinima that I've ever seen. And I didn't mean that in, in terms of that it offended me or anything like that, more of just, it was so raw emotionally. Uh, so effective at just creating this real sense of what for me was was almost a nausea. Uh, just, just it's just wonderful what he was able to pull off there. And you're right with with a, a level of restraint that uh, is is I mean, in many ways Ricky's Ricky's film. We were talking about the uh, the, the graphic violence and then there's certain elements of that that's even as we laugh, kind of disturbing. But this film for me was much more unsettling, uh, even though it doesn't have one bit of gore in it at all. Uh, and there's one key moment in the movie, um, not to spoil anything. If you haven't seen this, it, you're, it's, it's worth experiencing without any spoilers. 
but there's one point in the movie where Leo takes the camera and basically puts it from the point of view of the captive. Uh, and it is just stunning. You're, you're hearing the, the labored breathing and the, the anxiety. It puts you inside that character. It's just so many things that, that are wonderful about it. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of my all-time favorites of, of anything made in any engine ever. Yeah, I was very, very impressed when this film came out. And I think it sort of got lost in the mix uh, because I think it was right after Machinima.com was acquired and there was a big sort of focus on the new channel at YouTube. And uh, when we saw it for Machinimaplex, I knew immediately it was something very special. I think we had an interview with him. Um, you watch a lot of machinima films, especially in the older days, and they're all, you know, you can find some good ones, but then there's a few that just stand head and shoulders because of their theatricality, their style, their the way they pull you in. And I think what really impressed me about this film is he was able to take this non-realistic representation because these the characters are pixelated um not something you'd associate with realism and, you know, gritty realism. But what what's essentially upsetting is the cruelty of one human being to another and the moral problem that he sets the viewer in the middle of, which is, is this person justified in doing what they're doing or uh, is are they right? Um, and he makes it so hard for you. And it's just a beautiful piece of writing, acting, filmmaking. Uh, and it's an argument for non-realistic representation of realistic themes, which I think Machinima can do really well. I'm going to have to echo something that Phil said, which is I remember watching this film when it was released. And I get, like Phil was, I was hit by just how um, gritty and dark this it was and it's also not something i would have expected or associated with the sims um because normally those games are sort of very bright and cartoony you don't expect a story like beast to be um told in that sort of environment and the way that it was told was so brilliantly done it's a i was gonna say it's a hard film to watch but in a good way because it is it really gets at you but in the best possible way. Yeah. Good choice, Tracy. So Damien, what's your film choice for this month? Right. So my film choice this month is World of Cyberpunk, Wild Machinima. It takes the uh, an early trailer from the Cyberpunk 2077 video game and it recreates it shot by shot in World of Warcraft. Now, I don't know how Warcraft uh, Machinima works. So... What, however this was done is very impressive because it's well world of, world of warcraft is obviously a very fantasy orientated game so how they managed to take that world and those characters and turn them into this futuristic cyberpunk dystopian nightmare that the um, cyberpunk game is set in and how they did that i have no idea but it is really impressively done the animation matches the original trailer and they're playing it along to the original trailer soundtrack. And it it's not what you expect from Warcraft, but it's brilliant. It's, it's just so well done. And the um, 
creator Duran has he created many other um, videos, including a good take on the uh, Mad Max Fury Road trailer, which again he gave very similar treatment to. But um, I, I chose I went with uh, World of Cyberpunk because uh, I've been enjoying the original game and seeing something like this uh, done in Warcraft is just very impressive. Yeah, it was beautifully done, and I, I found the the lighting in particular very impressive. This this you know the cyberpunk world has this it really makes use of of kind of glowing lights, if you will, and and somehow yeah, he got that to happen. I don't remember seeing that in the native world of of uh, World of Warcraft before. Um, so yeah, it's just just wonderfully done. Uh, very sharp, rich looking image. Uh, it's pretty impressive for, I mean, how old is World of Warcraft now? I know it's evolved over the years, but it's not a new game by any stretch. So uh, it's it's quite impressive. Yeah, I think it's about 15 years old now. Maybe you're older, I can't remember. I think this is a brilliant film. This is um, this is one of the best machinimas I've seen for years and, and the way that it's made. You know, I had to play the trailer as um, for the game as well as the um, the machinima as well to see what see what he'd done with the characters. And it's it's virtually, uh, you know, a mirror of it, just using the WoW characters in there. I mean, WoW is, is the right word for it. It's a really good machinima if you, if you haven't seen it. But I'm, I'd be amazed if you haven't seen it because it's going, it's going viral as we speak. It's amazing. So you watched, you watched the original and, and the, uh, the World of Warcraft versions kind of side by side? Yeah, I did. I just I couldn't resist. That's a great idea. I have not. It didn't occur to me to do that yet. I was impressed with it, having seen the 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 uh, cyberpunk trailer probably a, a month ago, and it, it's. But yeah, that would be really interesting. I have a feeling Damien did the same thing, seeing that it was shot by shot. It's a great idea. Yeah, I can't add much more to that. You guys have uh, really hit the nail on the head in describing it. It's just a beautiful film, uh, professional level work. Um, what I can add, though, is that it's interesting to see that there are two films that use the soundtrack uh, and media from uh, from another medium and um, apply it to Machinima. I think that's a very fruitful uh, sign for uh, future projects like that. And it's really smart because one of the problems, especially if you're a single filmmaker, is how do you process and get all of that other audio and sound and acting and all of that together by, by taking a trailer, you're cutting your production in half. So you're able to put together something more quickly. I was very impressed with this piece. It's, it's probably the best of the films that we've been talking about here. And I, I urge everyone to see it. Yeah. One thing that occurs to me though, is where, where does, where do we stand with copyright on this sort of thing now? That's a very interesting idea. Yeah, technically, yeah, technically it's it's a copyright violation to use that audio, but it it for me it makes me wonder, I mean, what what company in their right mind would object to that additional exposure? Uh it it, it seems absurd to me that they would. I I guess they they reserve the right to do so, but it would be nuts for example for the makers of Cyberpunk to to, you know, object or do a takedown on that. That's just yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely. So, uh, like I said, yeah. gone viral. It's no, They're never going to take that down, surely. Amazing. Yeah, I would think so. As far as I know, the developers of Cyberpunk 2077 are very eager to encourage fans to be creative. So I think if, if they see this, they'll be excited to see uh, what a fan of their game has done 
uh, to celebrate their, their love of it. And now, a word from our gold medal sponsor. Kid, are you a young man between the ages of 15 and 25? Do you love blowing stuff up, hacking the heads off of zombies, leading the cops on a super fast chase down city streets, staying up all night to record a scene in Cyberpunk 2077? Well, we want to pimp your skills, baby. Hey, I'm Chip Vichyswa, and I'm here with my brother Tip Vichyswa to make you an offer you can't refuse. We We will will give you $1,000. That's right, $1,000 just for joining Machinima Pimp Incorporated as an exclusive gold star Machinima Maker for our VTube channel. We want you to take all of that energy and anger and make Machinima movies for us. We want movies about big car crashes, big guns. Big tits, big bits, stunts, one-shot kills, drive-by shootings, and thuggery on a massive scale. You want to hear a dirty secret? Quality is for pussies. Real men go for quantity, baby. If you could work fast and make loud, aggressive, sexist, asshole machinima, we want you now. That's right, Chip. The louder, the better. Bigger, faster, louder, dirtier, and louder. I used to make machinima because it was fun. But Chip and Tip let me know how lame that was. So now I do it for money. I've almost produced enough to cover the cost of my common production overhead, whatever that is. And after that, I'll be getting paid, right? That's right, you stupid bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, a thousand bucks if you sign up in the next 24 hours. Hey, kid, get your ass over to Machinima Pimp and sign up. We're We're gonna gonna make you a star. Entrance fee charged immediately upon signing is $1,000. Be responsible for all legal action taken against Machinima Pimp, past, present, and future. By signing up with Machinima Pimp, Inc., you immediately surrender all intellectual property rights and ownership of everything you create for the channel from now into perpetuity, all time zones, and any possible world's existing markets and any future markets as well. Once you agree to these terms through email, we own your ass. If you fail to deliver acceptable content on a timely basis, which we will determine and modify at our sole discretion based on our monetary needs, we will send Machinima Pimp Security to confiscate your PC, laptop, files, games, applications, and even your goddamn pets. If you complain publicly to any online source, this binding contract will immediately terminate you without notice while keeping your intellectual property, and you will pay us $1,000 penalty fee. Don't like the way you do business? Go f*** yourself. This contract can be rendered void for any reason, including a bad mood we might be in, but even then, we retain all intellectual property rights you have surrendered to us. Have a good time. Enjoy being pimped. 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 But survived. This man's identity is unknown. He was believed to be between 30 and 40 years old. He wore a white hood and was known only as the Phantom Killer. World War II. What you are listening to is the trailer for The Town That Dreaded Sundown, a 1976 cult film. My next guest took this audio and used it as the basis for a machinima created in the popular game Red Dead Redemption 2. His name is David Van. I liked the machinima so much, I called him at his home in Virginia, and we had the following conversation. From an article in Bloody Disgusting on your trailer machinima of the town that dreaded sundown. And I'm an old fart, so I I actually remember going to see that movie in the cinema. And I thought, well, Jesus Christ, I've got to see this. And, of course, it took me to your excellent uh, YouTube um, uh, channel, uh, Geiger Brick is your AKA there. And I watched the trailer and I just thought it was, I thought it was excellent. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. 
And then, I of like course, those old movie trailers that had the voiceovers in them. Yeah, and that led me to your other ones. You did a Mandy and a Thing and several others, and so I started watching those, and I thought these are these are just outstanding. What got you interested in um, and using trailers and machinima? Well, I started doing um, Lego movies more than ten years ago. Stop frame animation because I wanted to make movies, but trying to do stuff live action you're always dealing with money you're dealing with having to get a bunch of people there at the same time yeah and you know it's a it's a hard thing to do so i figured legos i could build little sets and put my camera up to the computer and see what it was capturing on the screen in real time and you know you move a light around you can see what the shadow is doing you can see what the color is doing yeah you can you know learn how to compose shots and then when you go edit the stuff, you're learning that as well. I felt like I was getting more out of that um, than I got out of film school. Mm-hmm. But no, I got it. The, the reason I started doing trailers is because that to me growing up, I mean, it used to be real to watch movie trailers in the movie theaters because um, we didn't have, you know, Internet. I mean, I'm 49 years old, man. I'm <laughs> but uh I don't know. Nowadays, you go to a movie, it's like I, I could care less about the trailers because I've already seen them 50 times on YouTube yeah, by the yeah. time you go to the movie. But yeah. uh, also, trailers are short two to three minutes, something like that. So, right. you know, if you've done machinima or anything, any kind of filmmaking stuff, you know how tedious it can be to do with something that's like three minutes long. Mm-hmm. So, it takes a lot of time. And I knew that doing this stuff like I'm doing and working 40 hour a week job and everything, you know, you just have a certain amount of time. Yeah. Excuse me. Most of my trailers, um, I recut the entire audio in them. I add in lines from the movie that weren't like, especially Mandy. God, the original trailer's three minutes, mine's six minutes. (laughs) I added in a lot of dialogue, um, from Bill Duke's character in that movie. Um, he's, he plays more or less the narrator in my, but, um, yeah, I, I like to add stuff in and, and and build them up a little bit, especially if you look at the original trailer for the 1982 movie The Thing. Most of the audio in mine uh, in the original trailer is just zooming in on a shot that says The Thing. That's it. Hmm. I just bit. used the audio and shot whatever I wanted yeah. and put it in there. I just tried to capture the atmosphere yeah. or the look of you know that specific movie or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. Like, you remember a long time ago, people used to build, like, boats inside of a bottle when they got home from work? Uh. <laughs> That's basically what machinima is to me. I come yeah. home and, you know, nobody's ever going to give me money to direct an actual film, but it's amazing yeah. the things you're able to do inside of, you know, a 3D world and not have to depend on large amounts of money or people or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just a fucking hobby, though, you know? I have to compliment you, though. I mean, even as a hobby... You, your shots are framed well. You've got a great visual sense of how to move the camera. There's always sort of a poetic look to the shots. Even though it's a hobby, you really have a sense of uh, style. And uh, there's a certain amount of professionalism to your work that I, I really like. I really appreciate that, and I'm sure my mom would love to hear that, too, because she was an art teacher for 30 years. So, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, tell me a little cool, bit yeah. about your uh, production methods for uh, Red Dead Redemption in particular, because I love uh, the town that dreaded sundown. What are some of the tools in uh, RD that you use to make machinima? Well, in Red Dead, 
you described it earlier. You said, you know, you go into first person mode because they don't like with, with Grand Theft Auto, somebody came out with this software called Menu, hmm. and you know, it's amazing. It allows you to go in there. And you've got access to literally thousands of three dimensional props that were within the game that you can place however many you want, build entire stages, things like that. You can't do any of that in Red Dead yet. So um, I had to go back and go the old method of going into first person, turn the HUD off. And I had two of my friends that have been working on these videos with me online. Um, one of them's from California and the other one's from Finland. But uh, yeah, we just get on there and, you know, they came up with the costume designs for that, like the sackhead guy and everything that was by a, People still ask about that costume <laughs> tutorial for that. I think that's pretty cool because yeah. he always does really great jobs on costume designs and everything. But yeah, with the Red Dead, they don't have any kind of modding software yet. And I don't know anything about what you said earlier about going into the game engine. Oh, my God, that sounds pretty wild. But yeah. uh, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> I use nope. what they call open four. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, when oh, you okay, captured the video, what did you use to capture it in the game? Um, well, if I'm shooting on Red Dead, I'm actually, I am actually bought the disc for that game. So I'm actually on the PS4. And, um, you know, like I said, in first person. And then you can capture the video, and then you can trim it down. It'll capture, like, the last, you know, you can set it to capture the last five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, of video. And then uh, you just crop off the parts you don't need. And from that, it renders it out as an H.264 codec. Right. And so your PS4 has, you know, your USB slot on there. So I put in a little flash drive. And once I've trimmed the shots down, um, I drop them onto my actual computer and then dump them into Adobe Premiere where you can do all your fine editing and, right. add, you know, um, audio and whatnot. So, right. But with, uh, with, with Grand Theft Auto videos, though, with all that software they have for modding now, though, especially um, the Rockstar Editor, I mean, God, you just go in there and you have your people act out the scene, and it's as if it's being shot from a billion camera angles huh. all at once. <laughs> Wow. And you can just go into this thing and open up what it recorded. And then if I wanted to have, you know, a, a tight shot of you talking and then a, back to me, you know, you can just do that. Right. Your characters are already, it'll just replay their actions the same every time. And you can just change your camera angles and animate your camera angles. Wow, that's great. I mean, again, I mean it'd be a great tool though, for, uh, you know, budding filmmakers in school. I mean, because when I was in college, we never really got, it was more theory than anything mm-hmm. else. Jesus, you know, one of my one of my f- favorite of your films was that absolutely bizarre uh, mashup of Star Wars and the Hills Have Eyes uh, brick film. That was that a Lego did. one. Oh, the Lego one. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. That was I just thought nuts. it was funny, man. I mean, the way that they portray the the Tuscan Raiders, they were like maniacs in a desert. And when I saw <laughs> the Hills Have Eyes, I was like, that'd be kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started I started making um, videos with. Grand Theft Auto about five, six years ago now, but I heard the term machinima from a friend of mine on the internet um, that makes these things. He called it that, and then I Googled it one time. So it just said people making making movies using like video game software and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah. Are you doing any uh, machinima work at all recently, or do you have plans to do My, any? The most recent. The most recent one was uh, Mandy, and that took the last six months to shoot. So, past couple of weeks, you know, with the COVID thing, I lost my job too. Yeah. I'm actually trying to find work in here, you know, locally. But uh, I'm sorry. I'm into that dilemma. 
But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so since working on Mandy recently and spending so much time working on that, I've just, past couple of weeks, I've been catching up on, I Googled, like, you know, the best films of 2018, 19, and 20. <laughs> <laughs> so I started just watching watching a whole lot of movies that I had uh, that had fallen under the radar for me. So yeah. I'm not sure what I want to work on next yet. Yeah, I don't know what anybody else is using to make machinima right now outside of gta because i can't find anything i just downloaded cyberpunk 2077 thinking i could do like blade runner in there or something like that but the the animation on the characters themselves is so horrendous Hmm. i would never i mean i have yet to see anything that tops the realism of grand theft auto 5 yeah yeah nothing unless you're doing your own 3d uh, 3d studio max or something like that you know, and having to build it from ground up, there's nothing that's more realistic than that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've seen some GTA films that are just amazing, just amazing. Yeah, even feature. There's a films. guy you might want to look up uh, named uh, Dougie, who uh, he's been featured by Rockstar a bunch of times. Hmm. Uh, he's got some really good uh, GTA movies. All right, thank yeah, you, David. Cool man. Yeah, and thanks yeah, well, for thank you. It's been it's been cool. Yeah, I've enjoyed talking to you, and I, I appreciate you giving me your time to talk about your work. I got nothing better to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> I live alone. I got six cats in the yard, man. I'm one of those people. So, <laughs> man, so it's okay. all good. Okay, buddy, I'm gonna take well, off. Cool, man. Thanks. Well, I'll talk to you soon, man. All, all right, right. take Bye-bye. it easy. Completely Mushinima presents our monthly discussion of Mushinima themes and ideas. Take it away, Ricky. We're going to discuss two topics today. I'll be the interlocutor for them, and uh, we'll have each of us to discuss, uh, share our, our ideas. Um, the first discussion topic will be trying to come up with the difference between real-time animation, virtual production, and Mushinima. In my opinion, uh, real-time animation is the large umbrella category for both virtual production and machinima. Uh, Real-time animation is a technology that developed a lot uh, from NVIDIA, but many other companies as well, in a way to slow down and increase the production speed of the renders in 3D applications. So they developed real-time technology. So uh, for example, you could move a light and you could see how it would uh, reflect uh, immediately and, uh, as opposed to having to uh, wait for the render to occur. This technology came to the fore in games in particular, which was why Machinima developed. So real-time technology is a larger umbrella, but I think virtual production is used professionally and Machinima is more for the uh, amateur world. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's my understanding too, really. I think... Um Real for uh, real real time filmmaking seems to be a term that's used by pros to describe machinima, um, which is more indie and grassroots. Um, machinima has always been about real time filmmaking from, from my perspective, um, using game engine to generate content. Real time seems to be used to describe a slightly different kind of workflow, especially if you think of. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about Mandalorian earlier. Um, if you think about those large lead sets that bigger studios are now using, I mean, that is machinima, but it's on a whole different scale. It's not, that's not indie. That's not really grassroots. That's, that's kind of beyond our reach at the moment. 
Um, so, you know, as far as I, I understand it, um, a lot of the, um, uh, the pros are using um, real time as virtual production, and there's a very interesting interview if you if you um, if you're interested um, with uh, Robert Zemeckis on his point of view of it, where he's basically arguing that it's traditional filmmaking just using virtual tools. Well, that's that's not really as I see it. Um, so I guess really it depends on what the filmmakers' production values are and how they view virtual tools and assets in their workflow. For me, I've always I've always associated uh, the machinima term with uh, with its video game roots uh, very strongly, and that's probably because I'm I'm uh, very old school in my uh, exposure to and experience with that. I mean, that for me, machinima within video games really the roots of that go back to id software and games like Doom, where uh, the the player had the ability to record a sequence of events and then play it back within the game. Um, and actually I've, I found something out just this week. I've been doing this for 20 something years and just learned this week that actually the demo file that was recorded in the old fashioned, the old doom games from the nineties, the only thing that's in that recording, I always assumed that it was, it was recording the positions of, of creatures and, and rockets flying through the air and where the player is and all that. It turns out in doom, that recording was simply the input keystrokes and mouse movements of the player. That's the only thing that's recorded. But the game engine uses the player's movements and keystrokes and mouse movements to trigger its randomization of how monsters behave and how things happen. And so when the playback is happening, it's actually just playing back a sequence of keystrokes and mouse movements of the player, and the game responds the same way every time. Now, once games like Quake and uh, Quake 2 came along and the AI became a lot more advanced, then it was actually recording everything going on in the game and still playing it back within the engine. And then once video became accessible, by that I mean that there was bandwidth sufficient out there for people to record video of their game and distribute it that way, there was a guy, I, his name is slipping my mind right now, but uh, the, the, the film that he first did that with, was he called it Quad God. And it was made in one of the Quake games, but he recorded the video output instead of uh, uh, recording the demo to be played back within the game. I actually fought against him like really hard about, that's not Machinima, which was just so stupid in retrospect, you know? And he was right. He saw that that greatly expanded the audience, you know, and I'm still thinking like a guy in 1996 and go, you can't give someone a video. It takes like, you know, days to death. Well, he, he had some vision that I didn't. And sure enough, five years later, there's YouTube and video now, of course, is just everywhere. So, but for me, that's, that's what I tend to think of with it. But I, I think that once tools like iClone, MovieStorm, those tools like that, that even to some degree, the game, the movies made by Lionhead, uh, the, the influence of that game and the, the opening up of machinima creation to, to new people that came from the result of that game cannot be understated. Huge, huge impact. But those games were the, the, the program is designed to craft specific animations and not rely on 
the AI or or modification of of the the stuff that's pre built for the game. Um, that that to me is where I started thinking. Well, maybe we need a different term. And uh, our friend Tom Jantel and I, he ended up coming up with a term for that called animation, which basically, and Tom, you'll correct me on this if I'm wrong, but basically animation to Tom means shut up and stop talking about how you make this stuff and just make it, (laughs) which is, which is, which is right. You know, ultimately the distinction between the two doesn't really matter. Um, uh, It's, uh, you know, but for me, historically, that's how I've come to understand machinima is it's rooted in that video game thing, even today. Um, no matter how you're recording it, uh, whereas real-time filmmaking is where uh, the animation is crafted. Maybe it's not necessarily rendered out to video form in real time. Um, you're developing it in real time, but when you render out a film from iClone or MovieStorm, it's doing it out of frame at a time to get the maximum quality. You can't really do that with a video game. You know, a video game, you got to capture it as it happens. Uh, if you need to modify the game beforehand to to alter the way things behave, then so be it. But you have to capture it as it happens. And with these tools and stuff like Motion Builder that Leo used on his film, it's it's about a crafting of a sequence of events similar to Unreal's uh, sequencer matinee tool. So uh, for me, that's where it is. But it's not a line that I feel like fighting over anymore. And I, I thank Tom for that primarily. Um. I would have to say something kind of similar um, to what's already been said. So real-time animation to me is, um, it's not necessarily machinima, but it can be more professional uses, like the way it is in uh, in The Mandalorian. Um, in the behind-the-scenes video, they're talking about the need for real-time, um, the, the screens behind the actors need to be updated in real-time. And so they never say the word machinima, um, whereas machinima to me is feels more rooted in sort of the video game uh, origins um, but again um, like Phil said when he finished it's not really a line I think about or really feel needs to be argued about that much it's just it's kind of things that overlap but not necessarily completely but they're all very similar to each other yeah, briefly. I think one of the key differences in it is not necessarily the technology uh, definition, but the community definition. Machinima is oftentimes gathered around a group, a specific game or a mod community for that specific game, whereas I think uh, virtual film production and uh, real-time animation are more professional levels for people at um, uh, Epic Games or uh, 3D Studio Max or places like that or Blender even. So it, it oftentimes has to do with community as well. And it's for me, it's very positive to see these communities meshing um, together in uh, 2021. Yeah, finding common ground and focusing on that. That's, that's, that's important. So that actually segues nicely into uh, my second question, uh, which is uh, uh, impossibly broad, but I had to ask it anyway. It's, what is the status of machinima in 2021? Well, I think that it is something that has grown significantly in popularity over the years. Um, although probably most folks don't even know what it was called. Um, lots of people now seem to have come to it by accident. Um, 
I do think Machinima Inc. did queer the pitch a bit for a good number of years. Uh, I think it basically destroyed the community where much of the creative practices were originally shared. Um, uh, but I think what's interesting now is that you are seeing community to coalesce again around different themes, not just games, but different themes as well, like the Star Wars theme, say. Um, and there's a, a, well, you know, if you take um, uh, environments like Unreal, for example, there's a huge community of followers there made up of um, people mostly interested in using the tool set for storytelling, not necessarily experts in Unreal, but just want to be able to use something for, for storytelling. And that's Machinima. That was where, where Machinima came from, really. That's what the community uh, did for Machinima. Without the community, there would never have been Machinima as we know it today, I think. Um, so for me, we seem to be on the second curve of, of the, you know, if you if you take that hype cycle, we're on that much bigger upward curve. Um, whether it will ever regain its popularity in name, however, is probably going to be uh, dependent on what happens, in, in my view, with um, NVIDIA's Omniverse Machinima, um, because I think their taking of the name will help to connect or reconnect that older community with a, the contemporary, newer community, if you like, um, through that term. It's, for me, it's interesting to see how it's being used in the professional way, um, especially with COVID. I know we've, we've talked about the Mandalorian quite a lot during the show so far, and I'm going to continue that now, um, because the environment that they use to film is it's a room with LED screens and they can produce any environment on those screens that they, they can imagine. And it takes just a couple of hours to switch it around. And that's mostly just because they need to change the physical props that are in there as well. Um, and with um, situations like COVID, uh, making filming very difficult, having uh, a studio like that, where you can just have a limited number of people inside and interacting um, as safely as possible, uh, that's going to be very good for the the film industry. And obviously, the Mandalorian set that up as a, and was very well received because of this tech and this technology is a big part of it. And other um, film studios and TV studios are looking at that technology and building their own. I know that um, Star Trek Discovery is building their own studio in. Toronto, I believe, so that when they uh, resume production, they can use a similar technology to have their actors again safely. Um, there is limited people uh, because you can have different rooms for the people controlling the environment, so they're they're kept separate, and it's if everything is as COVID safe as possible. And it'd be interesting to see what other film studios and TV studios are going to do when they having to work around the restrictions that are in place to protect the cast members and the crew members and anyone else that would be there on set so that's going to be a big thing this year i think and um as tracy also said there's lots of communities out there who are making videos with um, whatever their video game of choice is and even if they don't know what the word machinery is i still think there's a lot of content being created on youtube especially again this year as a lot of people are at home because of COVID restrictions, uh, it's a good way to create things and you can upload them onto YouTube or Vimeo or whatever uh, video platform you want to use. And then you can share them with other people who are also at home and looking for entertainment. 
You know, there was an old uh, machinima film. I believe the title of it is Anna. And uh, Ben Grusey is going to thrash me for not remembering for sure. But it was made by uh, a group called Fountainhead Entertainment. And they actually developed a animation, a real-time animation tool called Machinimation way long time ago. I'm really showing my age here. But the film was interesting, this short film, because the focus of it was this flower. That, that was the main character of the film. And this flower is struggling for survival in this forest and, you know, these different things happening to it and whatnot. And at, at the end or near the end of this little story, the flower gets, I think, stepped on by a deer or something. I can't remember exactly, but it gets smashed. And so there's this sense of, you know, that the, 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 it's died. But then all these uh, spores or pollen or something come off of the forest or off of the flower and get carried away by the wind throughout the rest of the forest. And then they settle down and each grow into their flowers. And even back then, I always felt like that that short film was a metaphor, not intentional, but it was a metaphor for what happened with machinima.com. And I don't mean the mutated beast that it became once it was taken over. I'm talking about the original idea as founded by Hugh Hancock uh, and Gordon McDonald of this centralized community where it doesn't matter what you make your machinima with, you come together and this is a place to share it and grow and collaborate. And uh, that that really, when it was uh, taken over by its new owners who had their own intentions, uh, it, it was destroyed. But the end result was all these other, it wasn't the death of machinima. It, it, it felt that way to those of us involved in that central community. It felt like, oh my gosh, it's over. You know, it's done. But all these little communities then sprouted up as a result of that. Um, and I think that that's still the state that it's in right now, that, that there are all these communities out there. Um, but like Ricky said, most of them centered around a particular game or a particular platform. There's a whole group of people who are, are obsessed with creating stuff in Second Life and they're very tight and they, they know each other and know each other's work and, and collaborate and share. And then there's got to be a Warcraft community out there because we've seen the result of that in, in this week's film. There's still a fledgling community for Movie Storm, which is, you know, a, a stone's throw from Abandonware at this point. And yet there's still a group that when the Movie Storm forum started having some uh, functionality issues, not not being stable. They went and on their own formed a brand new Discord server, just so they could continue to keep in touch and share and collaborate. There are stories like that that are countless. I think these other these little communities, not some of them, not so little, that spring up, uh, and and then there's also individuals that even back when Machinima.com was at its what I call its peak, there was filmmakers like, do you remember Alex Chan who made the, the French democracy? He was just some kid in France who just used his computer to make this movie to tell a tale of what's going on politically in his area. He didn't have any connection with a larger community at all. He was, it was completely news to him that we even existed, but he was there and saw the potential of these tools and created it. And there are countless individuals like that out there. So uh, I don't I don't know if if the idea of unifying all that together is 
feasible or even necessarily smart. Uh, but I do think that there's a segment of those communities that would benefit from the overlap and that really any endeavors, hopefully this show serves as one as, as an excuse to uh, widen your net in terms of, of collaboration and who you can learn from and who you can teach. Um, the, those are, there's wonderful potential there. It's just, there's not one place you can point to one Reddit thread or one discord server or one Facebook group. There isn't any one that encompasses, encompasses all of them, but I, I, I've come to feel like, well, maybe that's okay. Um, but, but if there's things we can do to encourage, uh, interaction between those communities, well, that would just, that would be a beautiful thing. It just, it won't look anything like what Hugh and Gordon set up 20 years ago, but I think it still could be very beautiful. Yeah. I think you, you've said it better than anybody here so far that it's just so well, well articulated my feelings. Exactly. You know, when uh, Phil invited me to be a part of this podcast, I was I think in a way, you know, I've had reflected on this a lot. I think I was hurt by the the rise of the Machinima Inc. mutant, and I just wrote it off. In fact, recently when I was trying to go through several different external hard drives to get Machinima-related material, apparently I had some fit of peak, and I, I just erased tons and tons of stuff. I just deleted it all. Now I regret that because... In my first response to uh, Phil's invitation, I said Machinima was dead, and for me, it was. You know, I almost cried. I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty um, arrogant in that assumption. But you know, it came from a place of kind of hurt. Sure. And um, so I started thinking about it, and I started researching and looking around and discovering films. And you know, it's not dead. I was wrong. Um, I've discovered that the film communities are alive and thriving. The Sims community, surprising, is very large. I recently did a profile for Renderosity magazine on an artist who does street photography in Second Life. Uh, that is absolutely incredible. He travels all over this virtual world, just like a street photographer. He stops, he finds these interesting shots, he takes them. Uh, he takes a whole bunch of shots, comes up with one that he likes, does post-processing, and creates these beautiful painterly-like portraits of this virtual world. So that, and I see the uh, uh, Unreal and Unity have started the energy of uh, uh, real-time film production. In uh, games like uh, Cyberpunk 2077, there's a group of photographers who go in and uh, take photographs inside of that game because it's got a photo mode that it's set up. So the, the communities are there. The, the technology has increased. The awareness of what machinima can do is all there. They're just in scattered communities right now. And I'm hoping that our uh, podcast will bring some of that together and start a, a dialogue on how to make these films, what they are, what news are. So I'm really excited. And, uh, uh, I, I think this. I think Tracy's right. I think we're on another rising curve that's going to uh, go to an even better place for Machinima in the near future. Well, Ricky, we should probably tell people about how to uh, how they can interact with and and talk back to our show here. 
So there's a number of ways that you can, you know, we want to hear from you, first of all. Uh, this this show is going to get pretty stale if it's just us for, you know, relying on ourselves to uh, to know what's interesting and what to talk about. We would love to hear from, from you. And there's a number of ways you can contact the show. Um, first of all, our website is completelymachinima.com. And right there on that homepage, about halfway down the scroll, you'll see a number of methods that you can use to interact with us. Um, obviously, email is there. Um, there is a way to, uh, we do have a Discord server that you can uh, supply ideas in there. There's some folks who've already done that. Uh, we do have a way to send us a voice recording. Uh, it's almost like a voicemail over the internet using a service called reverb.chat. Very cool. And, and you know, if, if your uh, question is uh, one that we cover, we might even play your feedback or your question right on the air and then respond to it. And we're, we're going to be monitoring all the, the communication channels that make sense um, for us. We've got a Facebook page. Um, so reach out to us and let us know what you think of, of the show that we've done or what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Have you got an excellent film suggestion to make? Man, we would love to see those. We know there's a lot out there, way more than we'll find on our own. So let us know what's going on out there. Pimp your own material if you want to. You know, let us know what's, what's being done. We'd love to hear from you. And that's our show for you for this February 4th, 2021. And now for something completely machinima, we'll return with another fun-filled podcast on March 4th, 2021. Don't forget to let us know what you want us to talk about. We will listen to your comments and ideas, however absurd they might be. And be sure to check out our show notes with links to everything we've mentioned in this podcast. Hey, thanks, guys. I really enjoyed talking with you today. Podcast music credits include intro theme music by Phil Rice, composed from samples created by Taiga Sound Productions, Alexei Korobets. Digital Logo 03 by Taiga Sound Productions, filmmusic.io slash song slash 6801-digitallogo-03. License, filmmusic.io slash standard license. Horsefield Workstock, hip-hop 80 beats per minute. Audio Mirage, Surprise It's Monday. Womb by Philip Rice. Deadfro5h on minus.com, Reggae Chill on minus.com. And note that the neural voiceover speech generator at filmmusic.io was used to generate artificial speech in this episode.